I just casually looked towards the canal and uh, I saw what I thought was a mannequin. August 2nd, 1998, the body of a brilliant young scientist is found dead near the campus of Georgetown University. It was a gruesome scene. Walking up to the body, um, it became apparent that there had been a sexual assault. For more than six years, D.C. police had no leads and no suspects. Then, another disturbing discovery. She wasn't his only victim. As these cases went on, the more the victims resisted, the more violent he became. One man committing a series of heinous crimes against women, but then he just stops. Ten years go by, then 20. What would it take to finally crack the case wide open? I'm Paul Wagner. Join me for Unknown Subject, Season 3 of WTOP's American Nightmare podcast series, available October 4th on all podcast platforms. Everyone, welcome to Dr. Who Podcast. I'm not going to waste any time this morning. I'm going to get right to my guest. It is the great Michael Malice. The podcast is You're Welcome with Michael Malice. He walked in here two seconds ago, and I very rudely said, just, just let me start. Let me just start. I'd, I'd like button my lip before I get going, because I wanted this all to happen on a microphone. So thank you for being here, first of all. You edited out all those racial slurs you threw in my direction. Well, the, I, after I got that out of the way, then I could turn the microphone yes. on. You understand? But, but the fact that you came in here was deeply meaningful for me. I know you live in Austin, right? I do. You didn't have to do this. I'm humbled that you came all the way out. I hope you're out here for something else. I'm not going to blow the opportunity to sit here and meet you also because you know better than anyone how to talk to a trickster. So I thought this is going to be a very fun opportunity. Interesting. How fun. So uh, I'm a huge fan, uh, but I'm a new fan. Okay. Uh, I was aware of you always forever, and I knew we were sort of on the same platforms together. Let me just also give more of the plugs for Michael. The Anarchist Handbook, released May 221. Other books, The New Right, A Journey to the Fringe of American Politics. Also, Dear Reader, the unauthorized biography of Kim Jong-un. Autobiography. Kim, Kim Jong-il. Yeah. Unauthorized. It's, it's, it's a new genre. Yeah, unauthorized autobiography. <laughs> you write an autobiography. How about that? That's a new genre. But uh, I, I've heard you speak about that. Um, let, me, let me ask Gary something. Gary, uh, before Michael got in here, I listened to a bunch of his podcasts. I came in with a list of questions. When was the last time you saw me do that for a podcast guest? Today's Thursday. That'd be never. Never. Oh, really? Exactly. It's the first oh, time wow. I've actually okay. done that. So, so I'm very excited to have you. I, I, and what, what happened to me was uh, I'm just trying to figure everything out. I'm trying to figure out where I stand politically. I'm trying to understand what the fuck is going on here in this country. Uh, I always thought I hated anarchists. Okay. Okay. Let me start from that. I, I just despise the idea of anarchism. I thought. I thought for a while I was a libertarian, and then I thought, no, I'm not. No, those guys are kind of heartless. I'm not that. Well, uh, are, you, are you on the spectrum? I'm not on the spectrum. Then you're not a libertarian. All. There you go. Uh, but I'm in, definitely independent because I'm sitting here looking at the excesses on both sides, going, "What the f- what is going on here?" Uh, I don't have Trump derangement. In fact, I don't have Trump anything. I don't really care about that man except for what everyone else reacts to, right? Uh, which I kind of feel like that's your sort of thing. Your thing is more policy and what he d- does to people. Any event, correct? That's true. Yeah. So I'm always fishing around trying to figure things out, and I came upon you talking to your robot friend, Lex Friedman, <laughs> and next door neighbor. Yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, and I agree. He's a beta of some sort of robot or AI himself. He's not a, he's not a researcher. He is the AI. Yeah. No doubt in my mind about that. Um, but he has a great podcast, obviously. And I heard you talk about political philosophy, which you don't do a lot. I had to kind of search for it. And I yeah. went, well, I think I agree with everything this man is saying. Oh, so, wow. so everything about anarchism that I thought must be wrong. And I ran in here and said, Gary, please get Michael Malice in here right away because I, I have to dig at this a little more because – I do feel like we're unmoored from our past in a lot of ways right now, not necessarily in good ways, right? People don't understand history. They don't understand the principles upon which we're founded. And your point, I think, is maybe it's time for that. Maybe it's okay that that's happening. I, 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 it scares me, but let's just start with this. Okay. And I have a feeling this is going to be two shows, so, so uh, hold tight, everybody. If you play your cards right. If I play my cards, if you can handle it. So, 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 uh, let me let me let you talk first. Are you are you good? Are you okay? First, you edit what okay? do you mean first? I haven't got a word in edgewise. <laughs> I, I, that's what I'm saying because I've been gushing here the whole time. Uh, and by the way, you go to michaelmalice.com if you want any more information about Michael and, and add Michael Malice on Twitter. Um, now, now I'm sounding like Alex, Alex Jones, which was another interesting interaction. <laughs> 
Political philosophy. What is anarchism from your point of view? And, 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 and what is yeah? And what is the the political philosophical framework for legitimacy of any government? Well, there is none, and there is there is no good reasons to describe government as legitimate and a few bad ones. Anarchism is the principle that you do not speak for me, and everything else is application. Um, that's why I put together the Anarchist Handbook. This has been a tradition going back centuries. Uh, it's a collection of essays by prominent anarchist thinkers, people much smarter Tolstoy? than myself. Tolstoy was Wait, a Christian anarchist. When did that happen? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I read a lot of his stuff. I didn't get the sense. I, I think he, I got the more of a sense he was sort of historical conservative. Oh, like no, he, not at all. He was so very much an anarchist and a pacifist. It was just interesting. I remember vividly, and this might so speak to your background. I, when I was in college, I mentioned this in the introductory essay to the book. I took a course on bioethics. And there was like a thermometer basically about uh, political philosophy. And on one end is legalism, which is the view that whatever the government does is inherently moral. And the other side is antinomianism, which is that no authority is legitimate, right, which was kind of the philosophy of the founders of Rhode Island. They had this idea that any kind of church authority is illegitimate, that you communicate directly with God rather through an intermediary. And the next sentence in the um, book said, well, since no one thinks this antinomism thing, the answer is somewhere else in between. And I'm like, well, if it's got a name, someone thinks it. Yeah. Now, they could be wrong or they could be crazy. And in fact, it is the correct response because if you ask people to demonstrate why government is legitimate, if you push them for 30 seconds, it quickly comes down to either might makes right. Uh, well, a lot of us think this way, so we're going to get our way, which is in any other context, no one would regard this as a legitimate moral claim. If anything, they would regard that as horrific. Or tradition, which is just, well, the people who died are smarter than we are now, which may be true, but that still doesn't demonstrate the claim that you're uh, putting forward. So once you realize that um, in American political philosophy specifically, that the two rival political parties are literally uh, gangs, and you know, just because Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi talk a certain way, the difference between them and Don Corleone is minimal, if not literally zero. And everything else follows. I mean, this is it behooves gangs to raise your children, to teach your children that they are the good guys and that you owe them some kind of sense of loyalty or fealty. Uh, and once you kind of pull that thread, a lot of it kind of falls apart. Is there an intermediate pragmatic zone of sort of – as a biologist, I always think, you know, in terms of evolutionary biology. And I, I just see, sort of see everything as just sort of – Biological imperatives. Yes, that that there is a tendency for us to organize uh, for optimum survival. Right. So uh, you know the anarchist quote is anarchism is the mother of order. So anarchism means people cooperating voluntarily. And when you have people cooperating voluntarily and furthering their interests and the interests of those that they care about, the order that ensues is going to be much more stable and coherent than any order that is imposed by authority. Let me give you an example. Mathematics is an anarchist system. Um, music is an anarchist system. Language is an anarchist system. English is the lingua franca of the world. No one is forcing you to speak English. You can speak Esperanto, which is a synthetic language. You know, Bill Shatner made a movie of it. But it failed because it does not have the utility that English does or other, certain other languages do. So that is an example of anarchism in practice. People tend to think of anarchism as exclusively a political philosophy. Like, And the hilarious question you always get is, what does an anarchist government look like? Which is kind of like, what does an atheist god look like? But when you realize that it is a way of describing relationships between people where no one has some kind of forced authority over the other, then you realize, wait a minute, anarchism is in fact the norm and the basis of order as opposed to uh, the destruction of it. So, so it would be accurate to say it's an emergent system yes. from biological reality, yes. biological imperatives. Yes. Okay. That's, that's one version of it, but that's the version I would certainly say is the most valid. It's certainly emergent. No matter, yes. no matter is you're saying there's an emergent order out of the disorder. Right. That's, that's of a voluntary nature. And, and I think human beings are social animals, as, as you point out, that has a biological basis. Yeah. And that we do tend to form communities. And, and always. We, always. And you just the, look at history. It's just always. And the thing that makes politics so 
nonsensical. Can you, you're, you know, you're a doctor. I would not have you be my accountant or my, I don't know if you cook, but my chef or. You wouldn't or, have me do any of these things. Right. But <laughs> to me. have one person speak for you in terms of, let's suppose, abortion policy or tax policy or foreign policy, and I have a choice between a binary choice that's been widowed down for me by people more powerful than myself is completely nonsensical. But that is something we all take for granted because that's just how the system has been going on for a couple of centuries. So there's a reality about humans, though, is that. 10% of us are fucked up sure. like in all kinds of ways. And, and you and Lex also made a big point about this, that we don't really we – don't, we don't acknowledge that really in this country. We don't really understand it, right? We sort of pretend it's not there. Well, that's, that's one of the fallacies of democracy. Democracy is the idea that everyone is in a position to make judgments for everybody else, and it's demonstrably false. And in any, any other context, people would be glad to admit this is nonsensical. You know, my well, neighbors are crazy, and therefore they should have a voice on my life. That, but then when it comes to voting, they're like, everyone has to have an equal vote. That, 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 those two th- things are contradictory. Well, so there's. Can things- I get some water, please? Yes, okay. of course. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't ask you for any. <laughs> just I just launched into you, so I apologize. <laughs> but thank you for this, because uh, you're you're you're. I want you to help me figure myself and the world out. Okay, because it's it it's not okay right now. No, not, it's not. No, nothing no. is okay. But I think things are getting. I, I'm my next book's called The White Pill, and which is because I'm extremely optimistic about where, where things are going. I thought you th- you were. Sort of, I'm, I'm taking you down the path where you end up talking about a national divorce. Yeah, that's, you think that's the white pill? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, because I think America's had two cultures, at least two cultures, from the beginning that have been held together by duct tape and staples. The only way that it, it maintained one nation is when half the country invaded and uh, militarily occupied the other one, and still never imported its culture into that other culture. And mm. the, it, what do you mean? We don't. We the north in even Atlanta. That's not a southern city. It's a northern city. I, I I don't think Atlanta. I think Atlanta in certain ways is a northern city. But I think the South as a whole, to say that the South culturally is identical or even close to identical to New England, is untrue. It's not. It's Florida's closer to Spain than New England. Right. right? So that, that's not because it's a southern culture. It's because it's got a historical past. You know, it's interesting. Just uh, you like the story. I, I, the first couple times I went to Atlanta. I'm kind of a Civil War – or I was at that point, a little bit of a Civil War buff. And I, and I was like, oh, I'm Atlanta. I'm going to go see the Battle of Atlanta. I'm going to see all these different Civil War, whatever's going on there. And to a person, when I first got there, the guy that drove me from the airport, the people at the front desk at the hotel, I'd go, uh, can we – where can I see some Civil War museum? Or they're like – they all stared at me like, Civil War? Like, I guess that came through here. <laughs> really? And, and it turns out there's, there's a cyclorama and there's a museum in Buckhead and that's it. That's all there is. I think the Southerners left and the Northerners just moved in, and that's Atlanta. Well, I mean, what, what are they going to have a museum of if, if Sherman raised the whole city, you know what I mean, and killed all the people? Tell the story. Sure, yeah. I, I mean, I just – it's a museum. But, but if, if it's a northern city, they'd be telling the story, right? From their perspective. But, but that was what surprised me. Okay. I thought I'd see a southern perspective on, on this – I mean, even Gone with the Wind tried to show a little bit of the sure, sure. southern perspective. Do you know on Margaret, Margaret Mitchell was a big uh, um, porn fiend? I didn't know she was a porn fiend. I, thought she, I heard all kinds of other things, like yeah. racist and no, all no, no, she's a stuff. big porn fiend. So, like, one, one of the things I talk about in my book, then you write, and this is something I think conservatives have a bad concept of it's the people who are on the margins who create culture. And if you look at someone who historically is just, you would think is just like a kind of, kind of white lady or white person, <laughs> look a little closer, there's going to be something in their closet. And it's not going to be something minor. <laughs> that's everybody. That's, but that's not everybody because the people who are creative always, also have another screw loose somewhere. Yeah, or yeah, they're yeah. going to have one foot inside the culture, one foot out of it, which is why yeah. minorities disproportionately create so much. Art in America. And, and immigrants. And yes, right. exactly. Yeah. yeah, and you are technically an immigrant, right? You, you guys left. Not technically. Ukraine. I am an immigrant. Yeah. So my family left the whole Omar. That's. Oh, I know. write about that very much. In my next yeah, book. And so and and it's interesting. Where, where in Ukraine is your family from? <clears throat> it's it's hard for me to tell. Okay. Because they the the ones that came over here in the diaspora just didn't talk about it. Right. And they and they all everyone went to New York, Chicago. Everyone via Toronto and Hartford. Very very weird. I don't know what that path was yeah. all about. They never talked about it, and they all talked about the homeland, their, their home as Russia. Yes. They just, it was just Russia. And I didn't know it was Ukraine, I did, and my grandmother was Belarusian. Well, because the Russians were marginally less anti-Semitic than the Ukrainians is why it was Russian. And, and she would talk about the bandits. Oh, yeah, Bandita. And she never – and we could never get – was that the Tsarist? Was that the, the, the Bolsheviks? Was it the Menshevik? Who – they had no idea. Right. It was just the bandits. People would just come through and wreck their shit. Well, wreck their shit meant like like rape people for days at a time, kill children, and torch people in front of other people. So it's not like oh, you know, like some kind of like burning down 
like things we see in America. Well, this the is- good thing is there's going to be reparations paid to you and me and the people <laughs> that had to run the hell out of there with their families. So, you know, history is a, history is a kind, kind story, yeah. except for this one exception. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is the insanity about presentism for me, is that uh, hi- history is a shit show, and it could easily happen again. And that's, again, our denial about it. Well, I don't think – I think Americans – you know, something I talk about a lot is Americans are completely oblivious to the nature of evil. Uh, they really think that if someone is going to be some kind of dictator, it's going to be someone with a funny mustache banging their fist on the desk. Whereas if you do study history, it's far off from the guy who in any other context would be like a mailroom clerk uh, and someone just completely innocuous. It's this kind of gray man, faceless bureaucracy that is the, the meat grinder that kills so many people and destroys lives. Okay, So we, we have, we have leapfrog through a bunch of stuff. I'm going to go back to the thermometer eventually, but you're into some things I wanted to get into here because this is one of my problems. I can't tell who the good guys and the bad guys are because I sit in the middle and I go, well, that Trump guy was an asshole, but policies are, hmm. And, uh, and uh, Newsom, uh, he's a fucking... America's Patrick Bateman. He, he, he's a good guy, but he is... How's he a good guy? Trust me. Okay. I don't he, trust he's, him. He's a good guy. You shouldn't. <laughs> okay. He's a good guy, but he's doing horrible things. To all, all these people are losing their businesses and their sure. jobs. They're the, the middle. I, just, I can't believe what he's doing. This guy's an asshole. Um, what's his name? And Trudeau. Trudeau. Oh, he's a good guy. He's he is destroying people. Is is he the I, who's the fascist? I and how is the guy that's just a blowhard asshole a fascist with seemingly I think good policies and the guys that are destroying other people is. I, is it, neither of them are good guys, right? That's really the bottom line. I don't think there are good guys. In, in, I think politics. You know, we talked about earlier about how or, emergent order politics attracts the worst ten percent. Uh, because think about it this way: Let's suppose you are an angel. You're a great person. You have great ideas. You want to help people. Why would you put yourself and your family through it? Because no matter which political party you side with, there's going to be an apparatus designed to make you out to be like. Look at the case of Brett Kavanaugh, drunken gang rapist, and you'll have to publicly go on television and talk about when you lost your virginity. Simply, uh, and then you'll, on the other hand, you'll be told if you don't get this job, it's basically like being lynched. It's it's a completely insane uh, well, system, and that's I, I by will, design. I will push back on you to say, except. There is an impulse to do something and do good. There's yeah. an impulse. Yeah, but you're doing good. You help people all the time. You're not doing it through the state. But there is there is a, a group of people that will stand up at a certain point, it's, but you have to identify them. That's the hard part. You don't know if they are part of that 10% if they're just self-righteous, self-aggrandizing assholes. I, and the, I, the most dangerous ones are the ones who can pass. Probably. Well, definitely. Is well, hold it, on. Are, so let me tell you my own story. So, so I, um, I, I've been. I was sitting in the middle of COVID, going, "What the? F- what? Is, I got to do something. I, I, I just have to do something." Right. And so I started looking into the possibility of running for mayor, running for governor. Just, I just, I didn't want. I don't want to, but I have to. Good people sometimes stand up, right? I, I think I'm a good person. I start doubting myself in all this too. Sure. Um, and. Uh, I went so f- I went pretty far down the road, and I spoke to a former governor. I don't know if he would mind me saying it, but he was awesome, and he was um, encouraging. I thought he was going to say, oh, it's a disaster." Now, you're not going to do the accent. It's like talking to somebody be- tr- pretending to be him when you talk okay, to him. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like literally somebody playing Schwarzenegger. Yeah, when yeah. But he's fantastic. He was inspirational. He was amazing. Emphasized to me how dumb politicians are, which is I, I wonder if dumb is the enemy really, because sometimes I think that's really the the core problem, not not the crazy or the evil, but the dumb. Um, and we have to remember that you know the IQ scale is a scale with a with a median, you know half or below and half or above, right? And half below are not at a hundred; they're below a hundred. But a hundred's not that bright either. At all, right? And, and so most of the people in this country aren't great thinkers, aren't really able to process some of this stuff, or might not have great judgment. That's okay. That's okay. But th- they may need not to get into these positions of authority. And we need a certain amount of meritocracy in this country. Well, do we not? Uh, not in this context, uh, because I'd rather have someone who's inefficient and using the powers of the state than someone who's good at it. Right, uh, the central right. problem of democracy right. is that those who need leaders are not qualified to choose them. And if you look at if you know who you'd have in power, I'd much rather have uh, some incompetent idiot like, what is it, like Marion Barry, you know, crackhead former mayor of D.C., than have a Stalin or a Mao who are absolute geniuses at wielding power. So this, this is one of the big lies that has started, I 
I think since the era of I think Woodrow Wilson kind of introduced it. He was a former pres- uh, president of Princeton before he's governor of Jersey and the president. This idea that politics should be about you know th- this philosopher king from Plato that the smart people are going to rule over everything else, and that you see that very clearly in COVID, which is we should listen to the experts. Now we still have had no reason as to why we were socially distancing, no. uh, and if social dis- zero, and if social distancing did work, why didn't they bring it back when you had the other variants come back? So either they were wrong before, and or why didn't or, things turn out worse in Florida, correct. or Sweden? So the fact is, this deference to experts is something that is completely malevolent, um, and it is designed to have a kind of newfound aristocracy. It's, and the best way for people to determine if someone is bright is if they've got those credentials. Uh, they go to certain universities. And this is why uh, I always regard the universities as the root of all evil in this country. Mm-hmm. This is where the, the toxicity starts. Uh, and, you know, a buddy of mine, Curtis Yarvin, advocates putting tanks in Harvard Yard. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that's, that far, but I certainly do think that the next step in saving this country is going after, I don't mean in any sense of violence, I mean just funding, delegitimizing uh, college funding. professors, yes, and things like that. Funding. Roman offers clinically proven medication to help treat hair loss. That's right, from the comfort of your home. Roman offers both prescription medication and over-the-counter medication. Roman also offers specially formulated shampoos and conditioners. Research shows that about 80% of men who use prescription hair loss treatment had no further hair loss after two years. Research also shows that men who use hair loss treatments feel better about themselves overall. Treatments can start at $20 per month on a quarterly basis, and right now, Roman has a special offer for our listeners. Use this link to get 20% off your first order. That link, of course, is GetRoman.com slash Drew. Again, just go to GetRoman.com slash Drew today for 20% off. Get started now. Now we're from our sponsor, BetterHelp. You've heard me talk about them over and again, how much I appreciate the services they provide, the quality of the practitioners they have there, and the fact that Man, they really helped during the pandemic, but it also got us used to using electronic medium for things like mental health services. And uh, listen, I, I had therapy myself for many, many years, and I definitely would have been someone to try better help. And by by the way, when you learn how to be your own problem solver, uh, that's the whole point of therapy is to get you to do it yourself. Therapists can help you be that better problem solver. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, better help is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists at any time. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy is one of the ways you can get there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Drew today to get 10% off your first month. That is Better, H-E-L-P.com slash Drew. I've mentioned emergency medical flights now for quite some time and comprehensive coverage. You can still get hit with deductibles, co-pays. Protect your family and your finances with an Air MedCare Network membership. As a member, if an emergency arises, the expense of an air medical transport is completely covered when flown by an AMCN provider. Membership costs as little as $85 a year and covers your entire household every day, even when you're away from home. That is just pennies a day. We all know that the unexpected can happen. An AMCN membership is protection no family should be without. And for a limited time, as a Dr. Drew podcast listener, you'll get up to a $75 e-gift card when you join. Simply visit airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash Drew and use that offer code Drew. Just, just bring a market force. They in, are complete all. mediocrities. Uh, and when you see them on social media, you realize these are not particularly impressive people. The best example, this is Lawrence Tribe, who is a Harvard Law professor, and you put that on paper, it's like Harvard Law Professor, this guy must be off the charts. And he is, I'm sure, when it comes to understanding how the law works. But in terms of having a nimble, intuitive, impressive mind, this guy is basically a mouth breather uh, and, and just uh, embarrassing. And I first heard that from Camille Paglia. She was oh, railing oh, about it. Oh, I love it. her. I know, me too. She's railing about it. And I was like, huh? Oh, <laughs> she's the best. Because I guess I went to the, the Ivy League type schools when it was the salad days, you know. It, it it was deeply meaningful to me. It changed my life, changed how my mind operated. It, it taught me critical thought and how to read and write and listen. And 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 I and I had my son go there because I thought this was the greatest experience I've ever had. And he went there and it was not the same thing. Yeah. And now I don't even recognize it. And now they have a policy where if they take a vote in the classroom, if anybody's uncomfortable, if everyone's maskless, and if that person's uncomfortable, everybody has to wear a mask continuously. 
Oh, that's science. Well, it's it's also deferring to people who are risk averse, which is a very dangerous thing in a, any kind of even quasi capitalist oh, economy. You're, you're bringing up all my favorite topics here, so I got to <laughs> I got to back through these things. Okay, um, let's start back to Wilson. I think he's the worst president we ever had. It's not even in dispute. Thank you. And and most and also most evil personally. I agree. He, not only was he completely despicable in terms of his hardcore racism. Even in the standards of the time, he also was had this idea, it's called the social gospel, that in the same way that – previously, in the same way that a human being had a soul could be saved, nations have souls. And he had, in his view, a messianic, literally messianic uh, mission to save the earth from itself. And when you have someone whose vision is I'm the good guy and I have to conquer the world and impose my ideology on everyone, that's literally Lex Luthor. That's the supervillain but motto. But isn't that literally woke? Uh, in in some ways, well, I, I, he wasn't woke. Because no, but I'm saying, but isn't that their position? Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But so, I, I don't know that that's their position because woke people, uh, progressivism is domesticate imperialism. They don't really care about what you don't ever hear about trans the world. kids. You, you don't hear about hear, the world. It's the yeah, United States. Yeah, they don't. You don't hear about trans kids in Mexico or in South America. You only care about what's happening with them here. But so, they'll get there. Uh, yeah, but they're really not interested, at, other than Ukraine, because that's yeah. the issue of the day. Yeah. Um, and my thoughts are with Iran today, and hopefully other people are as well. Mm-hmm. But they don't really care about the rest of the world. They really care about, and this is why the South is why they're so opposed to national divorce. Their vision is they're bringing civilization to these degenerate savages in the South, and they need the South to be their perpetual whipping boy for all eternity. Interesting. <laughs> okay, so Wilson, let me throw a little medical. Uh, Flame, uh, fire, fire starter on your history. If you if you know this, I apologize for repeating stuff you know. But two two things about his medical history, Wilson. A, I think you know he he governed after a stroke. His wife actually governed for four months, six months. Did you know he was thinking of running for a third term after his stroke in nineteen twenty? I, I don't think he was thinking. I, yes, he was. He put out the feelers. This is how crazy. No, no, somebody did. I, um, he he was not thinking. Yes, that guy was done. He wasn't that done. L- look it up. There's a book called 1920, The Year of the Five Presidents by David Petrosa. Wilson was thinking of running again. He How was we, the first Democratic president to get reelected since the world since the Civil War. Grover Cleveland had non-consecutive terms. He had a complete. Oh, I didn't know there were anybody who had non-consecutive terms. I, Gro- I, I yeah, forgot yeah, that. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. And he um, was also Grover Cleveland was a groomer. Did you know that? Groomer for kids. Yeah, like he married his the girl who he knew since oh, yeah. she was an infant the day she turned oh, yeah. eighteen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But that wasn't someone you sort of. There's a weird. There's a weird aristocratic uh, something left behind in the United States. Like I think Aaron Burr thought he was a knight. He thought he was a knight. He went and formed an army. He was going to go take over Mexico. Oh, well, or take over Washington. Yeah. It's not clear. He, he, yeah, yeah. But he went on an island yeah. and he got his men together around the round table. He thought he was a knight. Yeah. He, he really and he had a crazy relationship with his daughter. Well, that was the that, rumor that he – that Not rumor. That was, I, I, even, if it, it, even if it wasn't physical, it was covert sexual sure, okay, abuse yeah. for sure. Um, anyway, we, we digress. Wilson – The second um, thing about Wilson. Yeah, I, well, yeah. So, But he had a complete left hemiplegia. And if you have a complete left hemiplegia, you cannot communicate with language. So I, that's the part I – I mean right hemiplegia. Uh, and maybe he had a left hemiplegia and he had some language. I, I thought it was a right – but anyway, I don't know that data. He also got sick when he was in Europe trying to do the uh, League, League of Nations. Nations. yeah. And he probably had the 1918 flu which had a lot of similarities to COVID in the sense that there was a vascular sort of component to it. There was a lot of neurological stuff they saw later. And the, th- the, the some of the history is that he never was quite right. He had all kinds of weird emotional kinds of reactions and then had a stroke. It's all possible it could be down from the 1918 flu. Oh, wow. Connected and interesting. Uh, and I, I'd never heard that before and I read a little thing that was theorizing that. Okay. So I want to get back to meritocracy yeah. and the continuum of intellect. Um, so we agree that uh, the super intellectual are dangerous. We also agree that dumb are dangerous. And right? so are the marginally intelligent, the midwits. The marginally intelligent. Yes. The more I read about George Washington, the more I think he may have been kind of marginally intelligent. Am I on to anything there? I, I'm not that familiar with his career. I think Washington's appeal was both his leadership qualities yes. and how he basically was able to form coalitions yes. by people who – People with huge egos who deferred to his leadership. Well, I always thought, and he, he was, was sterile. Yeah, yeah no kids. Yeah, he, yeah. well, they, that might they, have been her, right? Well, no, because she had kids. Martha had kids from oh, a previous marriage. I didn't know that. So he might. They're thinking he might be XXY. No, fuck that. He Please. was like six three. At, 
he did not have those features. I, who, I, I understand the theory, but th- that's somebody who's going to now start to make a whole intersex argument for you. Not uh, intersex. No, no. What's the one where, where you – I know. It's Kleinfelters. Yeah, yeah. Kleinfelters. And, and yeah. He, he does not look like a Kleinfelter. Okay. No, no I way. I defer to you. No yeah. way. Okay. I, I get I, – all that – Debunked. All that stuff that people bring that shit up all the time. It is so rare and it's so obvious when you see it clinically. Okay. It's like, come on. Um, so – he there's a million other reasons it could have been sterile okay. or not yeah, yeah. You know, a million. I'm not not a doctor. <clears throat> really? Yeah, I, I thought I, you were. I, 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 you're, I'm thinking the, that... you're thinking the first lady, <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Jill. Yes. <laughs> so 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 where was I? I'm I'm. You're having say, your stroke. So I'm having my stroke. <laughs> you're having your, I, I, you're listen, having your, an aging yeah. brain is not. You're fun. You're having your President Biden moment. I'm, it's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun. Oh, I, I, know. I feel bad for I feel bad for Biden many times. So. I thought he was a reasonably great intellect by virtue of the words that I read of his. Now people are starting to say that he didn't write any of that. And that that shocked me, frankly. I, I don't know if it's true or not. It fits for me in terms of the petty bullshit that went on between him and Hamilton when Hamilton was his aide-de-camp. And I'm starting to think he might not have been a great intellect. Let's say he wasn't. Let's say he was just kind of above average and but had great judgment. Yeah. And, and great charisma. That's really key. He attracted power. He, and he also could rec- – he, he had picked Hamilton out of nowhere at a very young age. Yeah. So that's skill to recognize talent. Judgment. Uh, yes. Judgment. So he has great judgment. And, and isn't that what, that's what you want from a doctor? You, that's what you want. You want great judgment. Um, a surgeon may need more intellectual skill and stuff and a lot of other kinds of judgment. But you really just want somebody with great judgment and a good knowledge base. I feel like the politicians, it's the same thing. No, I disagree because okay. it's impossible to have a good knowledge base as a politician because if I'm in Wisconsin, Washington, I have no idea what's going on in communities throughout the country. It's the, it's the nature of knowledge. So what – then what? So what do you want in a politician? I, uh, <laughs> well, I'm not allowed to say on the air because I'll go to jail. But basically my point is you cannot have any kind of centralized, even quasi-centralized authority simply because they do not have the information to make that planning. Like the reason communism doesn't work, to use an extreme example, isn't because people are inherently bad. It's because I don't know, unless I have some kind of price mechanism, do I need to produce more nuts? Do I need to produce more b- uh, bananas or wrenches? Yeah. The data it's simply impossible. isn't there. Right. No, we have a perfect system. It's the you and me exchanging. Right. That's a perfect system. Same thing with medicine. The perfect system is an informed physician with a good judgment and a knowledgeable patient who is engaged with the doctor and trusts him or her. That's it. That's, right, your, but that's, that, your, that's your most efficient but system. But that physician is not in a position to make uh, recommendations for literally millions of no, people. No, I understand. But I, I'm a big advocate of local, local, yes, local. Yes, exactly. I mean, and that's my anarchism, God, yes. local. That was the shock to me that that's anarchism. But, but you can't – see, this is my moderate stuff coming out. Back to the emergent properties of order sure. amongst groups. Yes. Eventually, somebody's going to start acting out, sure. start taking advantage. Absolutely. And you're going to go, we need a judge. Right? Yeah. So the Bible did this, right? We have this right now. You have it on eBay. You and I have a dispute, and eBay steps in and adjudicates. Okay. So we need a judge. Yes. Uh, and that's the Bible, right? That's the books of judges. That's, okay. that's what that was. We need a judge. We don't need a Messiah just now. We need a judge. All right. Judges will adjudicate. Then we start getting bigger, and the judges can't keep track of everything. Well, now we need a sort of a system of order, and we need something for the judges to kind of judge from. We need right. some laws. and Why not have two systems? Go ahead. No, you. Why not have ten? Right, exactly. So you, there's no reason to have centralized law. Mm, I don't know that one falls from the other. No, but you're just you making, have, you you're making have, the case correctly okay. that you, it would be. You're going to have to have some system at some point. Okay. There are the reason that system is not going to be ideal. Human beings are not utopians. Okay, so so now, hold on. So now it's 1782, and we're Wait, trying to okay, and we're trying to we're, we're acknowledging what you and I have talked about so far. I mean, let's say we're on the exact same page. There's an, okay. Okay, cause, but now we have all this – we have 13 colonies and we have the, all that land on the, in the west and holy shit, we have to – and you know, Massachusetts has a whole different culture than Florida or Georgia. We have to create some order out of this. Uh, impose some order. What's the difference? Well, one is force and one's through uh, persuasion. Okay. Well, I, Hamilton was a pretty good persuader. I think I, Hamilton. I, I have a piece of Hamilton's hair in my house, and, and you do? oh yeah, I think he's the greatest it? person who ever lived. I got it many years ago before he got before the. You liked his economics, even? 
Uh, no, I just think he's no. A, no, but I, <laughs> no, I, I hated that. But he's a great person. I, yeah. I mean, you could look at Teddy Roosevelt, and you can't deny he's a badass, even though I think he's yeah. a, did irreparable harm to this country in terms of the his uh, politics, the international politics. No, his national. I mean, he explicitly said that which the Constitution does not forbid, it permits. Pretending the Tenth Amendment doesn't exist. Uh, Wait, would, what is the Tenth Amendment? Uh, that the power is not expressly delegated by the Constitution or reserved to the states or the people, respectively. So he just oh that doesn't. That, so he really was uh, just a very. I, I think I think he person. and Trump were sort of the same guy, you know, bipolar and narcissist and all you that stuff. You think Trump's bipolar? I've never seen him being de- he, depressive he's, fugues. He's not I, – I use that term very, very liberally and I shouldn't. It, it's inaccuracy. Very successful businessmen frequently are hypomanic. OK. Yeah. And, and I don't – I never know if that hypomania is I, – I would imagine – when he's on his deathbed, he'll be very depressed. But <laughs> when there, they can't engage in their hypomania, they get very depressed. But there's also the big rumor, and, and I think you and I both know that a lot of times when these rumors get out into ether, there's a ring of truth to it that he's a big Adderall user. I, I no, I don't. I listen. I don't know. I'm yeah, not a I doctor. Of course, I, there, there's there's this tendency. Uh, everyone's a pharmaceutical expert these days, uh, you know. And there are a lot. I think you brought this up too about Hitler using psychostimulants and stuff. It doesn't explain everything. It, it, it's it's not. I mean, it's with Hitler. Maybe it had something to do with his, you know, his irritability and unpredictability towards the end. Okay, it, I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Yeah, uh, I I don't know. I no. I I think he's always been like this. He's always been hypomanic, and it, there's a bunch of a ton of businessmen are like that. They're often like this, and they're they having a, a some kind of narcissism. Sure. And as long as it's not malignant and they're not exploiting people and they don't have empathic failure, and you can sort of judge that by looking at their family relationships. Like, do the family can they stand to be around them? A malignant narcissist, the family's all out. Uh, Trump seems to have his family around him. He has treated them like shit at times, which is like okay. And he's certainly hypomanic. He gets up at four in the morning and he's, blah, blah, blah. he's always working and stuff. Roosevelt was the same thing, except Roosevelt had <laughs> – he had not good relationship with his family, right? Except his one son who died of alcoholism finally, right? Well, there was one son who died in war, Kermit. Yes. He yeah, actually I think was, it was Kermit, yeah. And Kermit was, I think, kind of the same guy. And Kermit was an interesting dude. And if he had lived, he probably would have been another Teddy Roosevelt. But the other one was a little more sensitive and you know was an alcoholic. And uh, Anyway, uh, I, I think Teddy Roosevelt's great. Uh, I really – you've put a little bit – shot an arrow through it a little bit for me by, by talking about that. I, and, I, and I do know it was hypomania mostly that was sort of the source of a lot of that craziness. Well, it's interesting you say this because there's a book called TR's Last War mm-hmm. and the author hypothesized that he actually killed himself toward the end because by the end he was like half blind. He, he was like kind of bedridden and there was all this mor- like morphine laying around. And if you read through it – and this isn't some crank. Dave, Dave Petrus is a very – polished historian uh his last days were very embarrassing because he tr- oh, yeah. he tried to get into world war one and wilson very spitefully said sorry buddy we don't have room for you even though it would have been a great opportunity to kind of unify the country to have the two presidents together and he was you know he kind of spat in the face of the progressive party that tried to renominate him it was it was really bad well and then he went down into south america and he should have died there right yes the, the the report is he was never right after correct, that. Correct, correct. And that was the depression now coming in. Yes. And he was uh, – but he was a stud, man. He was ready to die down there. Yes. Good he was him. a badass. Yeah, I, good for him, I man. think he's an evil man, but he was clearly a badass. Evil. So tell me about that. How is he – we're going to have to take a break in about 10 minutes and we're going to do a whole other show. But go, go ahead. How well, is he well, evil? Well, after McKinley died, he basically uh, you know, had all these kind of – first of all, he, he was like the first president to denounce anarchism and – yeah, you know, he had this whole thing about making it illegal and, and but those European brand anarchism that scared him, though, right? It was Eastern European anarchism sure, that scared sure, the shit out of him, and sure. he saw the craziness and the, the assassinations and stuff. He didn't like it, sure, but the uh, understandably, but at the same time, it's a blatant violation of the First Amendment. Was the Black Hand uh, anarchistic? Yes, okay, my, uh, okay. But I, I don't think I think there were nationalist anarchists, the ones okay. who killed up uh, um, uh, Franz Ferdinand. Yeah. But I'm not too familiar with with. Their, okay, I'm just curious what they were. I never knew. Um, what they were. But just in terms of his vision vision of D.C. as this kind of centralizing force. Uh, he was also uh, um, surprisingly puritanical for someone oh, such oh, like yeah. a badass, like alpha male. He also was very, very prissy in many oh, ways yeah. and just had this kind of live right kind of thing. There I think this, there was something weird sexually repressed about Yeah, him. there's this yeah. kind of, oh yeah, because he was always going on about like Molly Coddles and all these euphemisms yeah. for like men who aren't real men. So yeah. there's this weird kind of cross between Mussolini and Mr. Rogers in, in his psyche. Um, so I, I, but he's 
by far, and he led the path for Woodrow Wilson. He was the first progressive president who had this vision of what they called the new na- the new nationalism. I think that was the term at the time, but just basically that, like, I, I'm a, a you know pre-fascist quasi dictator. Yeah, he, he, listen. Do you do you know about his little? Shenanigans as the assistant secretary of navy. No, no I'm not familiar. With oh, this that. is to me where. His, Wait, this is Teddy, not Teddy. FDR, because FDR was also assistant secretary of the navy. Uh, well, Teddy was. Okay, I don't really know much. FDR. FDR, I never, I never trusted or liked him. He just seems like a, I don't know. Oh, I, he's a snake. I talk yeah, about it in my next book. It's like. really great. Okay, I'm going to read your book. Um, he because he, he just seems like an elitist prick, and he yeah. just does whatever sort of suits him. And, but that's you know. the thing. He the conservatives are completely wrong. He wasn't an ideologue. He just had no real principles at all. Uh, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, so Teddy, when he was assistant secretary of Navy, uh, the secretary of Navy went on vacation, literally on vacation. I think he went to Europe or something because he was sort of out of contact. And uh, and uh, Teddy Rose ordered like five destroyers and an aircraft carrier or not, some sort of something like that. I don't know if there was an aircraft carrier then, but some crazy just, – just ordered a bunch of ships and – he had no authority to do it. It was an insane expense. Secretary of Navy came back and was like, what the, what the fuck? What are you doing? Yeah, I just, it was the right thing to do. And he was a – what would you call it? He was an imperialist. Oh, very much yeah, so. Yeah. yeah, and this was part of his imperialist instinct and he just did it. Just whatever. That's impulsive. That's hypomania. That, that's me. And, and there's all these stories about how you couldn't have a meeting with him. You'd have to walk with him out in the park and stuff because he couldn't sit still. Oh, I did not know that. Oh, okay. yeah. He'd climbing too. He wouldn't just be walking. You'd have to go climb rocks with him. Well, the best Teddy Roosevelt story I think pretty much everyone agrees <coughs> is there was one time where he was sh- he got shot and he finished the speech. Mm-hmm. Shot in his bi- – was it a Bible or something? <laughs> uh, yeah. he, had, he had a book in his coat pocket and he's, the book is in like the National Gallery or something. And uh, and it sort of saved his life. He was still bleeding, but he gave an hour, like a two-hour speech, <laughs> yeah, like not not a, speech. not a twenty-minute speech, like a two-hour speech. And and that and by the way, rhetorically, probably one of the greatest rhetoricians that ever lived, right? And speakers. Yeah, I mean the way he whipped up that audience into a frenzy, he was very known for that. Yeah. So, have you heard this theory? This this is we're we are going all over the place, right? Okay. That's anarchy, uh, baby. All right, you're into it, so I am too. <laughs> um, this idea. Of the mass formation psychosis. Yeah. Have you heard about it? Read yes, about I have. It? Okay. Yes. So you know the basic theory is that there's free-floating anxiety. There's social disconnect. There's, um, you know, I would say, a lot of trauma in people's past. And and then there is somebody who rhetorically activates them, right? That's sort of the one of the theories. I'm not sure. I, that piece I don't get so much except that the the soil is certainly very set for psychotic Hysteria. Yes, um, I think it, I would say it starts with government schooling, but that's a separate issue. Government schooling. So, so it's almost like you've been hypnotized and you're prone. To I don't like that word because it has connotations that kind of almost seem supernatural. But it, it's you've been trained. Hypnosis is not supernatural. No, but when people invoke that word, they they always use it in a sense. I, I know how to do hypnosis, but they the, in the common parlance, it's meant to mean this kind of like from okay. the movies where okay. you know you kind of impose your woo, will on somebody else. Woo, yes, woo. yes. I, I just had an experience where I was out in the Wadi Rum Desert of Jordan and trained as a Navy SEAL with a, with a group of other people. And uh, when those Navy trainers get in your head in about five minutes, I understand what hypnosis is. Oh, yeah. You've never been hypnotized? No. It's a fascinating uh, yeah. phenomenon. Well, I have now because I, th- when these guys started screaming at me and I bought in, once I was bought in, I would do anything. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was just like, oh, you guys jump out of a helicopter? Okay. Where, how do I do it, sir? Yeah. Yes, staff. I, and the only thing I could say to them was, yes, staff. That's my only response to everything. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Yeah. So, so we are all prone to that. Yes. Right? Okay. So We're so, not prone, but we all have that within us, I would say. Time to remind you again about our friend Jordan Heibinger. Search The Jordan Harbinger Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. And, of course, Jordan's show, which Apple Name one of the best of 2018 is aimed at making you better, more informed, more critical thinker, much like Jordan himself, who's got a really fascinating life course, interesting experiences, and uh, each episode is always designed to help you sort of learn more, resonate in some way, useful, practical insights. For instance, he tells the story of a cinematographer who discovered a lost city in the jungle and made one of the most important archaeological finds of the century, and a hostage negotiator from the FBI who offers techniques on how to get people to trust you. Certainly important skills. I enjoy the Jordan Harbinger Show. I think you will too. Search the Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy. I-N as in Nancy. G-E-R. 
Again, that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. How's that different? Oh, yeah. There's, it's not, there may be some more predisposed yes. than others, but the human experience includes this potential. Yes. Um, and so, so what about that mass formation psychosis? That thing is uh, – I've been – it seems to be some, one of the core sort of phenomenologies that sets up things like uh, you know the revolution in Russia, sets up pre-revolutionary France and the French disaster, which they idealize like crazy, uh, and, and what we've just been through. Uh, I don't know that it, – it, one of my points that I, I try to make very often is that uh, a huge percentage of the population is functionally mindless. And the reason you will see – Say that in a way that people can hear it without feeling pissed off at you. I love them to be pissed off. I don't <laughs> well, care. I want them to hear your point though well, because people are meeting and go, fuck you. That's, well, that's good because I'm very big on in-group and out-group. So if you say <laughs> – hold on. Let me, I'm a I, velvet, don't, I don't like in-group and out-group. I, I, I don't care what you like. Do you, do, you, do you belong to clubs? I'm a velvet rope person, right? So it's oh. – let That's me, gross. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, they're not going to listen if you're as the host disparaging what I'm saying without having said a word of it. Go ahead. My point being, it's a very useful technique if you're going to build an audience. It's, I have a different strategy than you do uh. to alienate the kind of people that would be more of a cost than a benefit. I see. So when I say a lot, a huge percentage of the population are functionally mindless, this is how you know. And this is not Republican, Democrat, liberal, or conservative. When you social media has been a very useful uh, vector to demonstrate how people actually think and articulate their own thoughts because yes. they're unfiltered. Yes. And what you see is a enormous percentage of population not only have the exact same views as the people on their screens, but they will repeat the things in the exact same way. Correct. They, they're going to repeat them verbatim. Yes. They're literally adding nothing yes. to the interaction. So when you see how prevalent this is, you realize that we are all taught uh, from a very young age that it's important for us to become informed citizens. Becoming informed takes a lot of effort, even if you have the capacity to become informed, and it becomes a lot easier to pass, you know, uh, uh, mimicries, Batesian mularian mimicry, to pass as informed by simply repeating what people who are smarter than you had said already. Uh, and, and as a result, these people are not really bringing anything to the table. Now, the question is, are they capable? And, and my, from everything I've seen, the answer is no. Listening to you speak on that. Yeah. It almost leads me to think that if I follow your logic all the way down, uh, that you would start to adhere to the notion that things like even gender are totally socially constructed. Quite the opposite. What do you mean? Tell me. Why is it the opposite? I'm saying that's a setup. I, I want to hear your opinion. Well, I, I don't see because how that it, follows. Well, you're, you're a, you could easily infer from what you're saying that you believe that everything is socially constructed. No, I believe that th- uh, that for a large percentage of the population, their views are entirely derived from external sources. Why doesn't that go all the way down into self-concept? Including self-concept. Why doesn't right. that go all the way to gender then? B- because gender has a biological basis. But its expression can have a social – Wait, uh, do you disagree that there are many people who are incentivized to perceive themselves in a certain way through their gender and that they follow that, – that, that they yes. follow wait, – wait, you disagree? No, I agree. Yeah, that's, that's true. OK. So, so – so. But I'm talking specifically about the political sphere. OK. Uh, because I just, I just – I'm, I'm, I'm doing that as intentionally as a polemic. It's not sure. that I believe it. I understand. It. It's that I, I'm looking at the limits of your logic and but where I, it can I, take I, people. I, I don't think that – People are coached like by watching programs. Okay, coaching is a, oh, so you okay. So it's a coaching that develops our political. Not our. Uh, I don't like that word in this context. That, that tends to develop people's political orientation. It's a coaching. Not American it, flag, the pledge of allegiance. No, no. I, I, it's not just the American flag or the pledge of allegiance. What I'm saying is there's like a school of fish, right? There's going to be the fish at the center who decide how the group moves, and the mm. others are just going to follow suit, mm. and they're not bringing anything of their own to the interaction. Okay. Then but I don't, I don't understand how you were saying that that means that – like Don Lemon or Sean Hannity aren't on TV telling you you have the wrong gender. Well, I was just, I, I was just following your logic, not, not, the, not necessarily the evidence. I was just following the logic because I think somebody could take it there. I'm just curious. That's all. But just following I, the logic. It's, I, let's, I guess the reason it occurs to me, I, I always bristle a little bit – when everything is thought of as socially constructed, I didn't or, say that. I know, I know, okay. or, or coached up, and and that there's not other constitutional genetic factors that contribute, and then the environment puts everything on top of that. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I'm completely opposed to that. This but, is the kind of communist plasticine model of man that, that basically if we teach people the right thing, they're going to have the right output. That's completely, completely okay. ignores biology. So, so I'm really I'm – just, I'm just digging at you to okay. make sure I understand your point of view. Yeah. Another thing – we're going to take a break and we're going to – we we could go eight hours. This is fun, pissing me off actually because we could just go and go and go and I have so many questions okay. and so many things I need to think about with you and you help me with. Is this OK? Is this of going course. OK? I'm having a great time. You're, you're, are you? Yes, because I, I want you. I want this to be a good experience for you too. I don't want just be me mining. This you know? is my, this is what I do. <laughs> okay, good. Um, before we wrap this episode up, we go on to another episode. Uh, you can uh, again. I'm going to bring Michael Malice back for another episode because this is just we can go on for just too long. Um, you can follow him at Michael Malice on Twitter and of course Michael Malice M A L I C E dot com and the book. You're welcome. I mean the podcast. You're welcome. The Anarchist Handbook and the new book is going to be called what? The White Pill: A Tale of Good the and White Evil. Pill. And that's coming out when? As soon as I'm done. I do want to point out for anyone who's searching for Michael's podcast, it's Y O U R Welcome. Yes. Stylized that way on purpose. Yes. Not you apostrophe R E. Right. Correct. Uh, one last thing before we wrap this one up. Uh, you, in a, just a brief flash, mentioned the uh, plant collection at the Huntington Gardens. Yes. I'm shocked that you know the Huntington Well, I have 200 species of succulents in my house. No, I understand. Yeah. But the fact that you knew the Huntington as somebody not from this area, I was shocked. Well, I was, they have a, a ISI. They have they, What they do is they take rare species and then propagate them through cultivation. Is that why you came upon them? Yes. Because through your, through your botanical pursuits. Uh, horticultural. Horticultural. Yeah. What's the difference? I think botany science and horticulture is, cult- is okay. a hobby. Oh, interesting. And I don't other, know what a pistol and a stamen are, for example. <laughs> just penis and vagina. Oh, is that it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and, uh, and uh, oh, it's a little bit different than that. But the um, the library there, you should oh, yeah. look into that. I mean, it's an incredible institution. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, and I really don't know Huntington's history, but I'm sure he was an asshole like Stanford <laughs> and everybody that brought the railroad out here. Uh, but, but he left behind something that is becoming really, I think, in, that will extend itself through history. It's oh, absolutely. It's amazing, yeah. yeah. All right, Michael Malice, everybody, back with more of him uh, next episode. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. You're about to hear a preview of The Jordan Harbinger Show with Pickpocket King Bob Arno. Pickpockets don't talk. They lift and do everything silent. I have spent 20, 30 years befriending or getting very, very close into how they work. And some of them are very charming, by the way. And that goes for the territory. There's a very good smile and like a ping pong, very quickly, boom, 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 back and forth. There's nothing slow. The thieves picks it, but pickpocket never holds. So he passes it on to a partner. So if the police catches him two seconds after, he's clean. There's nothing on him. There was none of this usual pickpocketing. The elegance was unbelievable. I had to look at it at least 10 times before I could see what the hell did I see. To learn pickpocket tricks of the trade and how to protect yourself against thieves, pickpockets, and scam artists, check out episode 530 of The Jordan Harbinger Show.